once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Historically, when God's people question God's faithfulness, we become consumers rather than contributors, giving God our leftovers rather than our best. Should we be surprised when our blessing matches our offering? Lead teacher Randy Pope finishes the series Questioning God with this message entitled Questioning God's Faithfulness which covers Malachi chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. Thank you for joining us today. Let's get into the series and the teaching for today. Let's pray as we begin. Our Father, now I pray that you're going to draw our heart's attention to this very important text that we're about to break open, and we pray that we might be fed well from it. So open our hearts. And our minds, you speak to us. We invite you to be our teacher. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Let me tell you the story of Lloyd and Dorothy. They've been married 28 years, and uh, Lloyd would be a man that you would have to uh, admire uh, for his great integrity. Uh, Lloyd has uh, always been concerned that he not in any way compromise with his marriage. And so on business trips, he had certain standards that uh, others wouldn't keep. He wouldn't go have dinner with a, a female alone and ride alone. And he just uh, was just always so very, very careful in that degree. Uh, Lloyd would be one who would uh, provide very faithfully for his family, never in doubt that he was going to provide well for his family. But after 28 years of marriage, his wife announces to him that uh, she can't trust him anymore. She's lost all trust in him whatsoever. She is convinced that he has become unfaithful. Now get into his world and life knowing that it's not true, that he, is, that he has done everything imaginable to keep a relationship that he loves very much. And now his wife of 28 years is challenging and questioning his faithfulness. How would you feel if you were in his shoes? Would it just destroy you to hear that kind of thing. Well, what I've just shared is a human story that depicts the spiritual reality that's being captured in the book of Malachi, where we're studying today. This is a story of God being the husband of his bride, Israel, and the Israel people challenging the faithfulness of their God, who's been a wonderful husband, who has kept his people throughout the years, has never any reason to be doubt, doubted or questioned, but they are. And they're saying, can't trust you, particularly in one area, and that's in the arena of resources, that they cannot trust God to be the provider that they need. Now, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. We're in the third chapter, Malachi chapter 3. We're going to start reading in just a minute in verse 7. And we'll go through verse 12. I'd like to prepare you, though, for the text. There are a number of things of great importance here to be mindful of. First of all, the whole book of Malachi is a book where God has been questioned by the people of Israel. Uh, he has been challenged. If you've been with the series, you're aware. If you're new, let me just explain quickly. They have questioned God's love to begin with. God, I can't believe you really, really love us. And that was because they were interpreting circumstances wrongly. Number two, they said, God, I just don't believe that we can trust you as an honorable God. 
And so they weren't honoring him as they should. Thirdly, they were questioning the restrictions that he had placed upon marriage. First of all, who the Israelites could marry. There were some restrictions. And then there were restrictions on when they could divorce. They didn't believe in those restrictions. They thought they were too tight. And so they began to challenge God in that arena. Then they began to question God's justice. They were saying, God, you're just not fair. That's the bottom line. You're not fair. And now, lastly, we see that he is questioning, they are questioning his faithfulness, particularly in this arena of provision. Now, the context of what we're going to look at has to do with money. The really, the underlying issue is not money. It's God's faithfulness that they're questioning. But it's going to play out in the realm of money. Speaking of money, I have to say, as I speak on money, I, I, I steer clear of preaching on money very much. That's one of the beauties of going through books of the Bible. You're, you're pressed to preach on things that you would otherwise say, I don't think I want to touch that. The reason that I don't like touching the subject of money in an arena like this it's because I know there are people here that don't know the church, that don't have an understanding of who the leadership is or anything else, and they got in their mind, I know what every church does. They just preach for money, 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 money. It's all about money. Well, the reality is it's important to speak about money. Jesus did a lot. However, I understand and I realize that there are so many people who think, I know what the church is about. They're thinking, the church needs money and You've got the money, and therefore, you need, to, you need to give to the church the money that it's due. The reality is, the mind and heart of that leadership is thinking, this is what we want from you. And that's what people hear in the message. As opposed to what I'm truthful when I say this, with integrity, the leadership of this church, myself included, when I come to this subject matter, I'm saying, no, no, it's... It's what we want for you, not from you. And I will assure you that when God gives this message himself to his people, he's not saying, this is what I want from you. What he's saying is, no, you don't get it. It's by what I get from you that you get something for you. And that's what I want more than anything else. Just be aware. It's a tough subject. I hate speaking on it. But we come to it, and I'm going to tell it just as he does. And I'm telling you, this is a hard message. Because, I mean, it's hard hitting. I think every one of us are going to hear and go, wow, ooh. But I hope you see that God wants something for you in saying what he says. And this church, in repeating what he says, is saying, we want something for you. I believe there is a domino effect that's very important. And when I say a domino effect, you know, you're familiar with a little game where you set up dominoes on the end on end and you put them in a little train and then you hit the first domino and the lead domino knocks over the others. We were, I uh, came in the house one day and Carol had some of the grandchildren there and they were playing that and they had these, I don't know how many dominoes and they were so proud, you know, and then somebody hits one of them, little sibling hits and there they all go and everybody gets upset. Well, th there's, there's something about that lead domino effect. It's so convenient. All you got to do is touch one of them and you get all the others to lay down. It's like that in the Christian life. I've noticed that through the years, there are, there's a lead domino for singles and there's a lead domino for marrieds. 
For the most part, there are exceptions. I worked with singles for a number of years before I came here to begin this church. And I found out that there was this lead domino. If I could just get it knocked over, then all the others would seem to fall with it. And that domino was this, would you give your future to God? If you'll give your future to God and say, God, if you want me married, I'll be married. If you want me to be single, I will be single. And God, I will marry only the people that would be appropriate. In other words, whoever I choose to marry, it will be the person that I believe that you would have me marry. You get that lead domino and everything else seems to fall down. But after marriage, now the lead domino is certainly not going to be the issues of dating and who you marry and so forth. Now the lead domino is resources, financial resources. You find somebody who says, God, I'm giving you my resources. They're yours. And you watch the other issues take care of themselves. I know that God has that in mind when he teaches the text for us. So let's look at it. Turn in your Bibles, if you're not already there, to Malachi. We're in the third chapter, and we're going to see five teachings. You're going to be amazed how quickly I go through these. Bang, 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 bang. There's, it doesn't take a lot of time on any of them. Put them together collectively, powerful message in what he has to say. Number one, let's look at it together. God's barometer for trust in his faithfulness is generous giving, generous giving. Let's look at the verses 7 through the first part of verse 8. It says, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Hold it right there just a moment. This is for you that are new. There's a literary device that he's using throughout the book called a diatribe. And the diatribe is where God speaks what he has to say, and then he puts the words, knowing what his audience is going to respond by saying, he speaks for them, and then he responds to what they would have said. So when he says here, return to me, and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts, now the diatribe, but you say, how shall we return? Hold it there. Again, it's not that they're saying, Lord, you're right, we have left you. How do we return to you? Now, what this text is saying, if you knew the heart of the context and everything, it's saying this, Lord, whoa, 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 you're telling us to return? How do we return when we've never left you? We have left you, God? Oh, no, no, no. So they're challenging him in that. Now go to verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. A return to me is another term for repentance. He's asking them to admit what they've done is wrong, uh, to understand the, uh, not only that it's wrong, but to be remorseful for it and to come back to God and say, God, you know, I understand what I've done and I want to embrace you again. He's saying return. By the way, for all of you, please understand this about God's word in every arena. Return always precedes doing. God is not going to say now, give. He's going to say, return to me. And then he'll talk about giving. And it's very true in all of life. You don't want to put moralism before the gospel. You put the gospel before moral outworking of the gospel. So you first look at what God has done for you. That's the gospel. Then you can live out what he's asking 
to do for him. You get that reversed, no good. Seeker, a lot of you here might be thinking that's the way it works with God. I'll do for him, then he'll do for me. No, 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 no. No, you come to him and then that's the way it works. Always start with what he's done for you. Now, the truth is, to abuse one's resources, this is what God is saying in the text, to abuse one's resource or to mismanage, whatever you want to call that, is to be evidence of spiritual wandering. He said, this shows that you've, you've left me by the fact that you're not giving as you should give. Hmm. Now, there's a way in which Jesus talked about this, and he put it this way. He said, where your treasure is, there your, and what, what's the next word? heart will be also. He's saying, I've got this understood. I know this, that I I can watch and see, and I know your heart by what you give. Now, it is true that a person could give abundantly and their heart not be with them. But if you're not giving of the resources he asks and stewarding them correctly, he says, I know that's a sign that your heart is not where it needs to be. It is a barometer. So we have to ask ourselves this question, do I give generously? I I would wish every one of us here would just ask ourselves now that question and answer it. Not just listen to the question, but say, yeah, what would I have to say? With integrity, when I say I do give generously or I probably don't give generously, Then we can come to the question of, well, what is God's standard for generous giving? And so let's look at number two, which he addresses. God's standard for generous giving is the tithe and offerings. We'll again read the, uh, or let's go to to, uh, the second part of verse A. But you say, how have we robbed you? And he answers saying, in tithes and offerings. Now, you understand what a tithe is. A tithe means tenth, right? So it's given of a tenth. Offerings would be that which would be beyond the tenth. He says, it's in those arenas. I prescribed this amount of giving and I've requested beyond, not with a percentage, but just beyond. It's in your tithes and in your offerings. Now, if we look at um, the question that I'm often asked, well, is that still in effect today? Isn't that the tithe something that's Old Testament? I'm going to suggest to you, no, it's not something that's Old Testament. It's something that is biblical. I will say this. There are wonderful, godly, scholarly, Bible-believing people who would say, I don't think the tithe is still in effect today. But if you watch those same teachers, they will say this. However, I would assume that if we're to give of our first fruits and to be generous, we would be giving that and beyond. But technically, I think we can say the tithe is. Can I be wrong? Absolutely. But here's the reason that I say that it has to do with a a very important hermeneutic. A hermeneutic is a principle, and it's a principle used to interpret the Bible. And this is particularly for you that are older in the faith that are trying to understand things like this. Here's the hermeneutic. It says that anything that's in the Old Testament is to be viewed as to continue throughout the New Testament unless otherwise stated in the scripture. For instance, God gave laws that were called washing, purifying laws, cleansing laws. There were sacrificial laws, 
how to sacrifice and so forth, that we know that once Christ has come, there's no more cleansing, there's no more washings, there's no more shedding of blood to be done away with. Those things that were giving, given in that arena are called Mosaic laws. Mosaic meaning Moses was the giver. It was during that time period. That was a theocracy. A theocracy is theos is God. It's when God is reigning. There's not, there's not to be a king over the nation as there is today. There was the king over his people, the nation of Israel. And he was the direct king in that regard. He gave his laws, but they were for that people for that time. Now, when you look at Abraham, Jacob, before Moses, they tithe. Very interesting. They're part of the creation ordinances that were given. And so we believe they would continue on. But the question comes back and says, well, wait, just, uh, you, you know, why is there not anything much said in this one time? It's raised in the New Testament, but why don't we see something about tithing? And my answer to that is, I think the, the law of love that is so overshadowing in the newer covenant is so big, there's no real need to be able to address that at this particular point. It would be like this, and I use this illustration in the new members process, but I, uh, I tell the story. It'd be as if, this isn't a true story, but as if Carol had said to me when we got married, I know you're going to be a preacher and I understand what you're going to be doing working at nights and I need you home some. So would you commit, if we do get married, will you commit that you will be home at least three nights a week and that when you are out, you'll be home by 10 o'clock at night? And I say, well, sure, I'll commit to that. Outside emergency or some problem? Absolutely. Now we've been married 38 years and our marriage, she and I would both agree I hope you agree that our marriage has gotten better and better as the years have gone on. I mean, it, it really has. It's gotten better. So does that mean, therefore, we don't really care about seeing each other at night and what time? No, but that wouldn't even be on the radar screen now. We wouldn't be. But does the principle still hold? Do we need that kind of time together? Is it important to have time? Yes, it is. Very similar type of thing. But in our text, the point is that God's standard is the tithe and the offering. In fact, I will suggest, and I'm going to say this to our young people more than anybody else. You young people, would you listen to this? There are two laws of blessing that God has given in his scriptures. They are both creation laws. These are the two major big ones. I like to think of it that way. One has to do with your time and one has to do with your resources. And God says from the very beginning, he says, here's how it works. I want you to give me one out of seven of your days. I'm not asking for a seventh of every day. I want one day out of seven. That's your time. Then I want you to take your treasures that are the two most important things in life. And I want you to take that and I want you to take a tenth of it. And I want you to give those to me. And I want you to watch what's going to happen in your experience of life if you learn that one right there. Young people, let me tell you, the generation I live in, your generation for sure, they're blowing that one away now. They say, what are you talking about one day out? I say, oh, you do whatever you want to do. If you want to, fine. If you go here, if you go to church, fine. If you don't, fine. If you, how you spend that day, it's no big deal. Do anything you do any other day. It just doesn't matter. And they're going to save the money. You know, that ties older. I give a little money. I do... Let me tell you, if you want to see God's great blessing in your life, 
You start stewarding your time and your resources. You just get those dealt with and you watch what happens to your life. Just show your generation what real blessing is. And that's the way to find it right there. I am convinced. So number two, God's standard for generous giving is the tithe and the offering. Number three, to fail to give generously is to deny God's faithfulness. And so 10 through 12 reads like this, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts, and all the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Now, the reality is, is that tithing and beyond is not a financial issue. I want us to think that way. It's not a financial issue. It is truly a trust issue. The question is, can we trust God for our resources? Well, that's the challenging question. There really is, is not a good reason. You might argue maybe if you're in legitimate debt, not that you're just spending too much. And, but if you're in legitimate debt, there are different views of, you know, do you tithe, do you not, and so forth. And that's not the issue here. But the reality is we've got so many, so many reasons that we, that we want to come up with that it's okay not to. And I would suggest that parents, we start thinking that like our children. What if, what if your kids, you gave them a curfew and said you're to be in at 10 o'clock, no later. And they come in at 12 o'clock. And you say, I told you to come in at 12. No, it's not important. I came in. I, I came home. Isn't that what counts? It's a very similar thing. I'm partially obedient, and therefore, isn't that good enough? And as a parent, you'd say, no, it's not good enough. And so that's what's happening in the realm of, of our, our finances today, too. Well, I'm, I'm working toward it. I'm getting there. I'm trying harder. I'm going to do it in the future. I plan to. And all of that as parents, we'd say, no. And our great parent, our God says, no, 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 no. I told you 10, not just because that's what I like. It's because I know that's what you need. And I want you to do that. That's the heart of God in his message. We will take financial risks if we are convinced there is going to be good coming from it. And so the question comes to us, can I trust God to be faithful? Can I trust God that good would come to me because I've been faithful to follow what he has to say? Number four. Number four reads this way, to fail to give generously is to rob God. We've already read most of this, but let me read through, uh, through it again. Will a man rob God, yet you are robbing me? But you say, how have we robbed you? And he says in tithes and offerings, you're cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Now, the premise behind this idea of robbing God is that God owns everything. That's the basic point. He owns everything, therefore he has the right to say, this is what I ask for you, this is what I think is best, this is what I want, and so forth. He has the right to do that. Now the question is, well, what is the storehouse? I'm going to suggest to you that the storehouse would be the church. 
And here's why I would say that. The idea of the storehouse is that it's really the temple treasury. It's the place to find is the place from which God's blessings proceed. So here's how it worked. Here's the way it worked. You would have this place, and, and of course it was an agricultural um, um, society at that time. And so your, your produce was really your income, what you had. And so the priest would be responsible for the temple treasury or the storehouse as it would call. And so each would have to bring their goods, representing a tenth of their, of their goods and so forth, and they would give it to the storehouse. The priest would be the one that would take that and would then pass it out to those in need, the poor and so forth in the community of the faith. He would go out and he'd give it to them. Well, what that did was it stopped this idea of consumerism. If ever that's needed, it's today. What a consumeristic church all of God's church has become. And what we love to do is we love to buy things. And so as Christians, we love to buy Christian ministry. So how do we do that? I'll take a little of this, and I'll take a lot of that, and I really like this. And, and everybody knows from whom it is given as it's received. But when the priest came and the priest says, here's you something, this is from the Lord. This has been given by God's people. So this is really a gift, but there's no individual that gets any credit for it. It's just anonymous giving. And that's why he says, bring the tithe into the storehouse. Bring the offerings into the storehouse as well. Give more if you want to give more. Now, it doesn't mean you give only to the church. Carol and I give beyond simply to the church. But the idea is that would be the store. I think there's a great biblical argument to suggest that it is. But we are so clever, are we not, in how we can rob God? We are so clever. When I was a kid, I'm, a, I'm ashamed to tell you this story, but when I was a kid, I went to Sunday school at the church where I was, and and we were on the third floor. Our same class stayed on that little third floor. And, you know, I don't maybe it didn't have air conditioning, I don't know, but I remember the window would be open very often. You could just look right out and third floor down. And, and I knew that all of us brought a quarter. We were all encouraged to bring a quarter and put it in a little offering thing. And so what I would do is I, I noticed there was a sandbox beneath, very below. You know where this is going, don't you? <laughs> I noticed that sandbox, and so I would say to my buddies and everybody, I'd say, hey, I bet you anything, there's no way you can get that, your quarter to hit the sandbox. And it was kind of hard because it was, and they'd say, I think I can do it. I said, no, I bet you can't. Oh, yeah, I can. All right, let's see. And they'd throw it, and oh, you did it. That's really good. I bet you can't do it. And so I'd get maybe 10 or 12 quarters down there. <laughs> I was down there so fast, as soon as that class was over, I'm sure they went down to get theirs and said, where'd the quarters go? But, but I, I, they never caught on. They just never caught on. I took so many quarters from them. And you know, here's the way I thought about that. I said, you know what? They were kind of paying to play a game. And I, I saw no real issue in that. What's the big deal? It's just a quarter and so forth. You know what? Don't we do the same thing? I, these are excuses. I just thought, what are some excuses that I've heard? Some reasons. And here's what I've heard. I've heard, well, I just... I think you probably want to give out of the net instead of the gross. And once I pay all of my expenses, then I find out what the tenth is. And I think, well, there's the quarter I stole. That's the same thing. Or I hear this. I've heard this. I said, oh, <laughs> this is a good one. My kid goes to a private school, and I pay the school my tithe because I really am giving to God's work because the school is a Christian school. 
And I think, there went my quarter right there. It's the same thing. And I've heard, uh, oh, my parents, you know, the Bible says take care of your parents. And so I take my tithe and I give it, you know, for my parents to help their well-being. As important as that is. Same thing. This is the best one of all. I can't afford to tithe. I make too much money. <laughs> Isn't that a good one? You know, some of y'all know the name John Edmund Haggai, the man who challenged to tempt something so great for God, it's doomed to fail. Let's God be in it. And you've heard that story. He was with a very, very, very wealthy man one time. He was riding along. He was a young pastor. And the, he brought up tithing. He said, you know, I noticed that you don't give a lot to the church. And he turned around and he said, I'd love to. I just make, I make way too much money to be able to tithe. Dr. Haggai, you'd have to know him in his bold, strong manner. He says, pull off, pull off, quick, pull off, pull off, pull off. And he pulls off and he says, what's the matter? He said, man, we got to pray right now. He says, pray about what? He says, I got to pray that you don't make as much money. Let's pray. And he bowed his head. <laughs> he said, God, take this man's money away. He can't tithe. You need to, well, there's my quarter. Let me, uh, let me say something to you kids again, young people, youth particularly. I want to read a quote from a man that marked my life, and I would love to think that I could mark yours in any form or fashion like he marked mine. I looked at him and I said, I trust you. I believe in you. And he taught me more about stewardship than any other person. I can remember him saying to me, Randy, try to make as slow a salary as you can possibly make. Really? He said, yeah. You'd be amazed what it'll do for you. I heard strange things like that, but I watched him give, and I watched God provide, and I saw him, and I went, wow, I like the way, I like the way this man is blessed of God. I like the way he was not wealthy. He didn't have much at all, but my goodness, look at the life he had, and I kept seeing God do things, and, and he'd say, you got to learn stewardship, Randy. you got to learn stewardship. And kids, I'm going to say to you, you got to learn stewardship. Learn it now while you don't have so much and it seems so hard to do it now. Start from the beginning. Here's what he told me. I have it written down. He said, we are obligated to tithe. In the four, gosp in the four gospels, not much is said about the tithe simply because the principle had been laid down clearly and fully in the Old Testament. Still, our Lord Jesus endorsed and reinforced the principle when he said to the Pharisees, you tithe and yet you omit the weightier matters of the law, such as justice, mercy, and judgment. These you ought to have done and not to have left the others undone, Matthew 23, 23. It's very important that you tithe. You ought to do that because it's an obligation required by our, our Lord Jesus Christ. We owe this to God. It's our duty in recognition of our position as stewards to return to God as tenth. Not that the rest, the 90% is ours, it is all his, but he requires that we give a tenth in acknowledgement that, that all we have does belong to him. If we didn't do this, we would soon begin to think it was ours to use as we saw fit. That tenth, I have absolutely no right to. If I touch it, the Bible says I'm robbing God, Malachi 3.8. The tithe is the minimum standard of Christian stewardship, and we really don't give it all until we give above the tithe. For that is what we owe. And I remember him saying to me, Randy, what I would encourage you to do is start now. Give the tithe plus at least $1. Just do the tithe plus $1. See if you can keep adding to that dollar. 
but start right there. Some of the greatest advice I've ever heard. Last point. To fail to give generously is to rob oneself. And we've already read that text where he says, test me now in this. Verse 10 through 12, I won't read it again, but it's, it's the same thing we've been reading. Test me now in this. What? Well, test me. You know what that word is? It, it literally means I'm daring you. It'd be like the bully who comes up to the kid in the room and hits him as he walks down the hall or whatever and hits him and the little kid says, hey, you did that on purpose. He said, I sure did. You gonna do something about it? He hits him again. Pushes him. Says, come on, do something. And, well, don't, don't do that to me. Come on, what are you gonna do? Come on, I'm, it's just a test. I'm testing you. Are you gonna stand up or not? The little kid goes, okay, boom, and he hits him and knocks him out. <laughs> and, and you know, in a sense, he's saying, look, you want the knockout punch for life? This is what you do. I'm testing you for your own good, though. I'm just, I'm saying you give it a shot and see if I won't do these things. And the three things that are mentioned in the text, we've already read. See if I won't open up for you the windows of heaven until there's no more room. See if I won't rebuke the devourer so what you have can go further than it would ever go. See if I won't make your life a blessed life so that people will look at you and they'll say, yep, you are truly the blessed. I tell the story in our inquiring process here for membership, I tell story after story of how God provided for Carol and me through the years and how it taught us faithfulness. And it began to teach us about the faithfulness of God. But one story I tell, it's a $3 story. You that are members have heard it. But I remember we were here, we were starting this church. We had no Sunday morning services going. We didn't have a facility. We were just had a group of people kind of birthing this church. And we had a covered dish dinner every Wednesday night, a little Bible study, and everybody gave a dollar and a half per adult, and we'd buy the meat with that money, and then we would, you know, bring other dishes and so forth. And Carol comes in my little converted bedroom office. She says, Randy, we don't have any money for tonight. We have our deal tonight, and we don't have any money. And I said, well, how much do we have? You're not listening. We don't have any money. <laughs> we don't have $3. We don't have any money until our next paycheck. I said, oh, wow. Well, I, I made the comment. I think my comment was, you know, God can provide that. Not that I believed he would. I truly didn't have this great confidence. But and Carol goes, well, I think I know that God can provide $3. But Randy, we need cash tonight. And so, I go, okay. <laughs> and so a little bit later, she comes in the room. She says, Randy, this one you won't believe. And she had an envelope in her hand. She said, you know the craft company? You ever heard? Oh, yeah. You know you can send in little, you know, coupon type things, and they'll send you money for the coupons. And I don't care if it's a quarter. It comes as a check. Check this out. She opened up the envelope, and there were three $1 bills that we'd gotten in the mail that day. If you hear me teaching a prosperity theology, you're wrong. It's not give a dollar and God will give you 10 back. That's lifestyle prosperity that's being preached. What we're talking about is life prosperity. He may take money away so that our life can be more blessed. He may give more to us so that our life may be blessed. But he wants our life to be blessed. That is the critical issue. you got to know that. Let me conclude. I think there's some of us here today that are very much in need to see those windows opened, to see the devourer pushed aside, to become a blessed person so that others would say there's something in your life. What is it? 
And I'll tell you, it's going to start with some of us apologizing to God right now. Because I don't know who, but I know percentages of the people of this church that don't give. And it may be way below most all churches. And I understand that's why I applaud you. But I know among our people here, there are people that are robbing God. And I think we have to apologize and say, God, I'm sorry, it's wrong. If you think that I'm motivated to say this because I want you to start giving money, I'll invite you right now, if you believe that, you give to another ministry outside this church. But just start giving the tithe and a dollar. I'm going to challenge you to that. And we're going to come to the table, and if you say, my faith isn't there, I want to, but I, I guess I don't know if I can, you come to the table to gain strength. But if you say, uh-uh, I don't do that. I don't care what the preacher says, what God's word says, I'm not doing it. Even if you're a member of God's church, don't come to the table. But I invite you all that are believers, let's apologize. And he says, come to the table. And if our strength is weak and we need help to do so and is struggling, still come to the table. If that's your desire and heart, say, God, I want to obey. I want you to come to the table. If you're not a believer, I want to see us all come to the same answer to all five issues of the questioning God. The answer is always Jesus. You go to Jesus, there's the answer. You see the cross and you'll see how much he loves and when you see how much he loves, that's when you want to give. Don't just say, okay, I'll give. No. Say, God, I want to love so that I can give. And I want to see your love so I can love. That's where it begins. And that's why we come to the table now. As we pray together, let's bow. Father in heaven, some of us are going to tell you we're sorry right now and we're going to ask you to cleanse us from the sin of robbing you lord we know we wouldn't rob a bank and we wouldn't rob a convenience store we wouldn't rob a friend and lord we sit here and hurt because we realize that for some of us we've been robbing our god and it's your words not our own so god would you right now would you give us new faith even through the table may we see your love may we May we see the cross in this table, the death that you gave on our behalf. And may it cause us to believe your teaching in Romans that he who spared not his own son, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things, including every resource we need? God, some of us are hurting financially. Others have more than we need. And we pray wherever we are on the spectrum that we might find your great blessing and that you might be honored by what we give to you. So prepare our hearts now. Hear us as we talk to you over the table. And bless we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.